Well, it seems like everything is in transition and going through change. Every church, organization, family, individual, business, everyone is going through change. And one of my observations has been, if, if you've been at CPC for a little while, just say two years ago, if you've been at CPC two years ago and you're here this morning, um, you've been through a ton of change. And that worshiping on the weekends even at CPC looks drastically different today than it would have 18 months ago or 24 months ago. And change is just sort of what we're all living through. And as, when it comes to CPC, we know um, that you're asking, that you know people that are asking, what's, what's going on at CPC? With all this change, what's, where's CPC headed? What's next for CPC? Why should I invest my time and energy at CPC? And over the next three weeks, I want to take some time to answer that question. What are we inviting you into as a part of the future of Christ Presbyterian Church? And I'm so excited to do this with you. And to do that, to start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a phrase that you probably didn't expect to hear in church this morning. The cross is foolish. The cross is foolish. Now, what would cause one of the earliest and most well-known Christians in history to use those words? The cross is foolish. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. It'll be on the screens behind me and on your screens at home. But we'd love for you to follow along. We're just going to scratch the surface of this. But it says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pause right there. In 1914, In 1914, Ernest Shackleton took a crew of explorers to the Antarctic, and their goal was to land off the tip of South America, and they were going to cross all the way to the South Pole and continue to the other side. But they never even made it to the continent. So to get to Antarctica, they had to go through a sea known as the Weddell Sea, And the Weddell Sea is one of the most volatile uh, strips of water, pieces of water on the planet. And as they made their way into the Weddell Sea, they got hemmed in by these massive ice flows. And for 10 months, they, they went around the Weddell Sea, stuck in between ice. They could not get out. They were waiting for the ice to open. It never did. And after 10 months, the pressure became too great. The boat began to sink. 
And Shackleton, who was leading this adventure, told the crew, we've got to abandon the ship. In the middle of the ocean, and all we have is to get out on the ice floes and see what happens next. But here's what he told him. We can only take the essentials. And whatever you think the essentials are, take less. We can only take the essentials with us because here's what he knew. He knew that if they took too much, that they thought, well, if I, I need this, we'll need this, we'll need this. It'll help me feel better. It'll make us more comfortable. It'll make us safer. We need that to survive. But he knew if they weren't as nimble as they possibly could be, then they would be doomed to failure because these ice flows that they might be living on for weeks or months or years were unpredictable and they could split at a moment's notice. They had to be nimble. So they had to take just the essentials. Now, if you go on to finish the story, all 27 men survived the adventure. For over a year and a half, they were lost at sea, and they survived. It's an incredible story. But I tell it because I want to ask this question. What is essential for CPC? What is essential for CPC as we imagine our present and our future together? What is essential and, and just like Shackleton and his adventurers, how can we make sure that we don't cling to the wrong things out of a sense of need of comfort or familiarity? How can we make sure that we're only clinging to the essentials and let go of anything that might weigh us down, that might give us comfort or familiarity in the short term, but will lead us to doom because we're holding on to the wrong things in the future. Here's where I want us to start today. If we learn to cling to only Jesus, we'll discover everything that God intends for us. Because when Shackleton and his adventures took off, they left even food behind which sounds crazy, but they knew they couldn't take it. And they knew that if they were to survive, they would have to get out there and just trust that somehow what they needed would be provided. And it was. And for us, we have to hold on to Jesus and trust that what we need in the future will be provided for us. The cross is foolishness because it tells us that the only thing we have to hold on to is the crucified Christ. And the Greek word in this text in 1 Corinthians for foolishness is the Greek word moriah. Moriah. Please say it with me. Moriah. It's where we get the English word moron. And here's why. To call something moriah doesn't mean that you've done something that we would consider insane or crazy or dumb. It means that you've built your life. Your life is about something that others would look at it and go, that's not the efficient way to power and accumulation and privilege. Why would anybody possibly live that way? What Moriah? And so this letter in 1 Corinthians that we read, this letter is written to the church in the midst of a place called Corinth. Corinth was an up-and-coming outpost of the Roman Empire that was historically known to be about social and economic climbing. That was what the culture of Corinth was. And the other thing you need to know is that in the Roman Empire at the time, the most powerful empire that ever existed on the earth, they had a, a tool of oppression and a tool of capital punishment known as a cross. 
And a cross was meant to be so brutal and so final that you would look at someone being crucified and you would think, wow, that's so strong and so powerful. There is nothing on the other side of that. We better stay in line. We better keep the peace. The cross was a way of absolutely delivering the final death blow. So if there was a group of people who said their whole reason for existence was that there was a man who was crucified and he came back from the dead, they would be considered Moriah. If they believed that their hope and their peace and their joy in the midst of a hard world was rooted in the, a man who had been crucified and came back from the dead, they would go, yeah, good, good luck with that, right? Did you know that one of the most Googled phrases over the last 18 months has been how to start a new business. Why? Because we know, news tells us, people have been leaving jobs at record rates, jobs that they didn't enjoy, jobs they couldn't stand, jobs they were ready to get done with. They've been leaving and people have been trying to start their own business. And so I, I Googled the phrase, how to start your own business. I'm not looking, I just research, research. And here's what, here's what I found, that business experts and gurus will quickly tell you, you need market research, you need a business plan, you need funding, and you need a, a name and a brand identity. That's what you need to start a business. Now, those things are important. They're important, and, and churches need to know their audience, they need a plan, they need funding, and they need a compelling way of presenting ourselves to the world around us. However, Scripture says that's not ultimately what a church should cling to. That the church should cling, cling to the cross of Christ alone. That the only thing essential to our future is the cross of Christ. And those around us, maybe even some of you today, might go, good luck with that. That's Moriah. And yet... What we know is that when we rely upon ourselves, when we're living like the Corinthians in pursuit of a life that's up and to the right all the time, surely holding on to the foolishness of the cross would make us Moriah, would make us stand out, would make us foolish in the eyes of the world. In fact, the word in the text, it says that this, the cross has become a stumbling block for, for those, for, for Jews uh, and, and foolishness for Greeks. And the word stumbling block in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandalous. And it literally means to ruin your reputation. See, the cross of Christ is not the way to social and economic climbing that Corinth was so desperate for. The Jews wanted signs they wanted evidence that there was power in what they believed. They wanted evidence that they could believe something and it would control their destiny. And the Greeks wanted wisdom. They wanted to know without a shadow of a doubt that they were right, that they were correct, that their lives had been built upon wisdom. And Paul says that the cross is not the way to get more wisdom. It's not the way to get more power. The cross is the power to show us, to show Jews and Greeks and Americans that the way to power and the way to wisdom is the way to death. 
and that the way of the cross is the way to eternal life that we could never earn or achieve on our own. The cross is not the way to achieve the life the world promises. The cross shows us how petty and insignificant and insufficient that way is. And we will be tempted. We will be tempted and our church will be tempted to build a life that looks impressive. A life that looks powerful. A life that others look at and go, wow, look how awesome they are. But theologian Fleming Rutledge says, Paul, she's talking about 1 Corinthians, Paul is adamant. Razzle-dazzle does not serve the kerygma of the cross. She means the proclamation of the cross. He declares that he has determined to set aside everything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Razzle-dazzle. It's talking about impressing others, showing others how smart and capable and powerful we are. But the thing is, when you impress somebody with razzle-dazzle, it doesn't make them want more Jesus. They just want more razzle-dazzle. And so if we want to invite people to Jesus, it's not the way of human wisdom or power, it's the way of the cross. So as we imagine building our lives on something, it's tempting to cling on to more than what's essential. It's tempting to cling on to more than the cross. As we imagine rebuilding Christ Presbyterian Church on the other side of a leadership transition, on the other side of a pandemic, it's tempting to hold on to more than the cross, what makes us feel good and comfortable and familiar. And yet in the Gospel of John chapter 3, John the Baptist says this about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. It will be foolish to those who don't know the power of the cross, but we need more of Jesus and less of us. Because there's something possible for our lives on the other side of a commitment to Jesus that we cannot see on this side of the cross. Or on this side of the cross, it will look foolish because we're depending on our own wisdom and our own strength. But I want you to imagine, imagine a church Imagine a church that walks out of these doors every Sunday, that gathers around the promises of the cross and walks out of these doors to live lives depending upon Jesus wherever we go, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, on our sports teams, in our neighborhoods. What would it look like for a church to walk out of these doors and to walk with Jesus wherever we find ourselves? What I'm inviting you to is a church that challenges you to grow in your faith with Jesus every day. A deeper life is a more dependent life. We're going to learn together what it looks like to grow in our dependence upon Jesus. More of him, less of us. More of him, less of us. And we're going to push to live that out. And we want to live that out not because living that out earns us anything. It doesn't earn our salvation. But it helps us demonstrate that it is real and that it is true and that it is tangible. When I was in college, I signed up for a class called Intro to Leisure. And you know exactly why I signed up for this class. I don't even need to say it. Um, and the rumor about this class was the professor was an assistant football coach. He, um, he gave every Friday as Leisure Fridays, which meant you didn't come to class. It was, it was a joke of a class. It was an easy A. I could not wait to take it. 
Um, but what the packed class did not know was that the day before school started, something happened and they had to change professors. <laughs> and so I show up, first day of class, and instead of having a leisure class, uh, we have a class where we study the history of leisure in societies across history. So it went from being a class about fun to a class about history. And here's the thing. I thought, I thought that I knew what I was getting into. I knew plenty about leisure. I was a college student. But I learned quickly that I had to sit up and pay attention and learn something new. You know, if we're honest, like many of us, our faith has been running on fumes. Many of us, our faith has been stuck in neutral. We don't care to admit it. We don't acknowledge it. But what if rather than sit back and think, well, I've, I've been doing this for five years or 10 years or 40 years, rather than sitting back and thinking we've got it all figured out, what if we need to sit up? What if we need to take a next step? What if we need to pay attention to something that we haven't seen yet? What if we need to trust that Jesus is going to keep doing something in our lives every day that we could not imagine or plan for? What would it look like for us to live in response to the grace of Jesus wherever we find ourselves? I want to tell you a next step with Jesus is for everyone. It's for the young. It's for the not so young. It's for new Christians and old Christians. It's for those who have hit rock bottom and those who are spiritual warriors. A next step with Jesus is for everyone. And that's what we want to challenge you to. That this is a church where you're challenged and invited to always take a next step with Jesus wherever you find yourself. I had a friend this past week ask me, when I reflect back on my legacy at CPC one day, what, what will I hope for? What, what do I want to achieve in my time at CPC? I just want people to follow Jesus. It's absolutely true. I, I, I could care less about anything else, but when we look back, whether that's 30 or 20 or 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, people followed Jesus wherever they were. Wherever God had them, they followed Jesus, they responded to him, they lived as if he was real and present and desired to do something in their lives that they could never do apart from him. I want you to take a next step with Jesus. I want you to always be taking a next step with Jesus, to hold on to nothing but the essentials, to hold on to the cross and to trust that it's enough. If we learn to cling to only Jesus, we'll discover everything that God intends for us. And then just a few verses down from the text we read in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If this was true of CPC, it would be enough. The problem is when we get off of this. If we stay true to this, we know Jesus. We know him crucified. We're taking steps, even baby steps, towards that. It will change everything. It will change our lives. It will change the world. So I'm going to encourage you to think about what is your next step with Jesus. And watch this video of some of our friends talking about their own journey with Christ. Well, I had 
grew up in a very ritualistic uh, religious environment. I grew up in a Christian home. I became a Christian, I would say, in high school. I first really met Jesus when I was in about ninth grade. I had grown up Episcopalian, but never really uh, understood the personal relationship with Christ. Going to church every Sunday, uh, living out the Christian holidays. Uh, however, just never really had it in my heart. We'd go to church every uh, Sunday and on Christmas and stuff like that, but uh, I didn't really like know the meaning of Jesus really. It was more of a social thing for me to go to church and in ninth grade is when I really decided to take a deeper dive into my faith. I thought, oh, maybe starting to read the Bible more could like add purpose to my life. And as I started to do that, my life got better. Like some of like some problems that I was having, they kind of went away. Like some stress that I was having went away. Then I was talking about how I wasn't feeling like I was adding any value anywhere. I wasn't raising kids. I wasn't in a job that I liked. And so I just knew that something had to change. I am the only Christian in my household and I started to go to church with some friends and seeing the way that they loved on each other differently and the way that they talked about Jesus and their relationship with Jesus, it was something that really intrigued me. A moment in my life was really when I had a stopping heart, I had cancer when I was 36. It was a small C thyroid cancer. It just kind of caused me to reflect back and understand say, why didn't I have this more seriously? And a series of events followed that of a boss questioning me of if I really thought I was going to go to heaven. Well, I have a senior uh, through church, uh, Grace Muskie, who's 104, and uh, we've known each other five years, and she um, is just amazing, and I just really get a lot of joy out of our relationship. In college, it's super easy to kind of drop out of your faith because it's not something that you're regularly doing with your family or your friends, you're in a whole new setting. So finding people that wanted the same thing as me and wanting to also dive deeper in their own faith and supporting me. Before, I would pray and just tell God that I would stop sinning and doing a specific sin. And then I decided, or I realized that that didn't really work or help. So I decided to just say, you know, I need your help. Can you help me to repent of the sin? And when I started to do that more and giving my life to God and asking him for help instead of thinking that I could do it all on my own. That's when I really saw a change. I've gotten more involved with Treehouse, seeing these kids and how they are um, struggling with hope type of things in, in this world. Follow what breaks your heart, and I guess that's kind of a thing that breaks my heart. Growing up, I didn't really have a great outlook on life. I thought I was kind of stuck in what my house and my family had set up for me, which wasn't the best outcome. And so now just knowing that I have this whole plan that's completely separate from that, and it's a lot better than that. And I have people that love and support me no matter what, and a God that's standing next to me, behind me and in front of me, wanting a relationship with me, seeking a relationship with me no matter what. My life is going better. I wouldn't say it's going easier. Like, it's definitely not easy. I just, I'm less stressed, I'm happier with myself, I'm in a better place than I was before, and it kind of gave me purpose to life. I've got more peace in my life, I've got more hope in my life, I've got um, more love in my life. I just feel more um, inner strength and, and contentment, I think, and so I just feel like I can try and be 
more bold and do things in my life that I may not have wanted to try before because I have him, him with me. And I just feel like I have, uh, well, I have deeper, obviously much deeper happiness and joy than I did before. What is your next step with Jesus? And are you willing to commit to it right now? I'm going to lead us in a time of just response and commitment, really simple. Um, before we sing our next song, I'm just going to want you to sit with this question of what is your next step with Jesus? And I'm going to ask you to respond and then um, I'm going to ask you to follow up with it. So at this time, if you're all sort of looking up here with me, um, if you have never had a relationship with Jesus, if you've never made a commitment of faith, if you would like to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, I'm just going to invite you um, to open your palms. Just sitting there, open your palms. Um, and then leave them open. I'm going to ask also if you find yourself here this morning and you know like your faith is stuck in neutral and you've been running on fumes and you want to take a next step, I'm going to invite you to open your palms if you're willing to make a commitment to taking a next step with Jesus. And then finally, some of you, your faith is fine. Uh, you've been faithfully following Jesus. Maybe you're even on fire, but you know there's something Jesus is calling you to that you may be hesitant to say yes to. If that's true of you, same thing. Just sit there, open your palms, hold it before you. And so with palms open, with the word of God in our minds and our hearts, I'm just gonna invite you to make those commitments. And even uh, over this next song, as we sing together, we're gonna have prayer folks around the room. And if you'd like to go pray with somebody and let them know about the commitment you're making, they would love to pray for you and respond that way. Um, otherwise, I would say, tell a family member, tell a friend, tell someone that you've made this commitment um, so that it sticks just a little bit. But in that spirit, if you all would, if you'd stand with us and we're gonna sing our closing song. And remember, our prayer folks are around the room.